Hey, we're glad you're with us, those that are streaming in, those that are here. Thanks for coming out on this beautiful day. You could be anywhere, but you're here because you love God and you love the fellowship of the believers here. So it's great. And so thanks for being here. It's I, I just fun to watch you in life interact. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. So amen and amen. Actually, the reason uh, that I wanted that song sung again is that Jen graciously went home to get my glasses. <laughs> I mean, in all transparency. And I was even willing to use her glasses, but she didn't have them. Now, that would have been fun because they're kind of pinkish, purple, you know. I'd have done it, though. All right. Well, we've been looking at this marvelous passage of Scripture. By the way, it's great to have our pastor back, Pastor Aaron. Amen. He went up to the Bailey Range, and uh, I'm assuming you had a great time. Did you get lost? Oh, good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you don't know where you're going, that's it. Good to have you back, brother. Well, we are, uh, we're looking at this passage of Scripture of, in uh, Matthew, actually 16, 17, and 18 are marvelous portions of Scripture. I say that about all Scripture. But I love this portion of Scripture here. Last week we talked about um, just knowing the blessing of God, that He's going to give you that unexpected blessing that comes right in the hour of need for you. It's been fun to hear some of you talk about that this week and say, hey, you know, I want to tell you where I found my gold that God provided for me in such a gracious, wonderful way. I love that. Jesus has also been talking, as we see in um, Matthew 16, he's been talking about that he's going to build his church. And in building his church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he says the centerpiece of all that he's going to be doing is his own death, his own burial, his own resurrection. And we see that the Lord has to rebuke Peter because Peter got it all wrong. We can do that sometimes, can't we? What we have this morning then as we transition into this 18th chapter, we really have the opportunity to sit in the classroom of life with Jesus. He's going to be our teacher today. Just think, if you would, in my own memory as I was thinking about this, the number of times that I got to ride along in the car with my grandfather and my father. And I was not part of the conversation. I was just listening. And they were talking because we're both in the upper echelon of the management in the coal fields. And I was listening to them talk about life and how they handled certain situations and how they faced difficulty. And, and, I, and I just listened. And I didn't realize it until years later that really what I was blessed with was sitting in the council of wise men and learning about life. And I have to honestly say, many of the things that I practice today in terms of leadership, people relationships, I think I learned in the back seat of the car listening to my grandfather and father talk about life. And, and what a blessing that is. And here we get to sit in on a conversation that's going on between Jesus and his disciples. And he's teaching them some things about life. And we can learn. 
I hope that there are four things that we learned today. I hope we learned that there's, a, there's an attitude to be avoided. I hope that we learned that there is a spirit to be developed. I hope we learned that there is a warning that should be heeded. And I hope we learned that there is a lifestyle that should be practiced. It's, a, it's an embracing, it's a compassion. We'll see all of, four of these things in the passage. But first of all, let's read the passage now that I can. We're reading from God's Word, Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them. And he said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, that he's not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and stretch for the one and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 which have not gone astray. So it, is not, so it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little one perish. Amazing passage of Scripture. It deals with a, a number of subjects, some of which we won't be able to touch upon, but Certainly we have the concept in here of guardian angels, the subject in and of itself. Do you have a guardian angel? Do I? We see the concept of hell, eternal fire that is talked about here. This is Jesus who is speaking about both of these subjects that is giving us information in regards to that. But we don't have time to cover all of that. I do want you to know that I recognize that and I yield to that. But at the time, I want to look at these four points that I gave to you. One is an attitude to be avoided. And this is the attitude of arrogance or the absence of humility. 
This is an amazing question that the disciples are asking Jesus. And it's uh, shocking that they're asking this question at this point in the life of Jesus. This is not the first time this issue has been raised. We see in Mark chapter 10 that two sons of Zebedee wanted to know, can we sit at your right or your left hand? Luke 22 gives a similar account. And here it says that they were arguing amongst themselves, saying, who is the greatest? Who's the greatest in this? And Jesus is trying to teach, even as the subject comes up again, and they're wanting to know, who is the greatest? Context for this seems relevant in the sense that Peter, James, and John has just come off the mountain with Jesus. And so there would be an obvious question that's raised there. Does Peter, James, and John have the one-ups on me? Are they more important to Jesus than we are? Have they, are they taking advantage of a situation? Maybe we better get in here and let it be known that we, we just want to know who's the greatest. We do know that they did not have a keen awareness of their own significance and who they really are because we see in John chapter 13, when they went into the upper room with Jesus and all the disciples, no one washed the feet. You ever thought, why didn't they? Now we see Jesus does that. And it's really interesting because before he washes their feet, it says several things about Jesus, that he'd come from the Father, going back to the Father, all things had been given unto him. He knew where he had come from, he knew where he was going, and he knew his purpose. I say to you that we will never serve one another until we understand who we are. Because in the process of our lives, we'll be trying to use our pedigrees, our, our, our honor, our influence, our position to try to suggest that we're more important. But never forget who I am. You know, I'm, I'm King Mike, and don't you ever forget that. And yet, in the context of them raising this issue of who's the greatest, in Mark chapter 10, we read that unless you become the servant of all, you cannot be great. In fact, it is my very mission, Jesus says. I've come to pay a price, a ransom for all. He didn't have to do that. He was willing to do that. He was willing to become a servant. We see that in Philippians chapter 2, where he gave up, gave up, and even to the point of death, death on a cross. You see, he was willing to do that because he knew who he was. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we said that the reason people do unusual things is because, and, and, and self-serving things is because in the garden they lost their significance. They didn't have themselves in a keen relationship with God. And so as a result of that, they had to go horizontal trying to establish their significance. We see the dispute even within the first family between Cain and Abel, because one brother thought the other brother had an advantage. You see, knowing who you are is crucial in this. It is shocking to me that they raised the question as well, because they had already been rebuked once. You recall there in John's chapter, I mean, in Matthew 16, when Peter said, God forbid it, Lord, this shall now happen to you. You're not going to go up to Jerusalem. You're not going to suffer at the hands of these people. You're not going to be crucified. Lord, not written, but keenly suggested, Lord, everything you're talking about doesn't fit anywhere in my agenda and what I think ought to be taking place. 
And then you know, as Pastor Aaron preached on that, he said, get the, behind me, Satan. One time, an instrument of revelation, and the next moment, an instrument in the devil's hands. Get behind me because you have your interest not in the things of God, but the things of men. Now, other disciples sitting around probably thought, I'm glad I didn't say anything. But Jesus knew what was in the hearts of all of them. He said, sit down, let me tell you something. Unless you, all my disciples, unless you deny yourself and take up the cross and follow me, unless you surrender to everything other than the will of God, you can't be my disciples. He had already taught them that. And here they come again with Jesus' mindset, clearly ongoing up to Jerusalem, clearly having to, even we see the agony in Gethsemane of taking on the sins of mankind and, and the holiness of God now violated by the, by the wickedness and sinfulness of man. That, that's where his mind was set. The disciples wanted to know, I'm going to be important to you, aren't I, God? You're going to, which, in fact, who's the greatest? They actually argued over that. Now, I know we would never do that. You know, what is it? We buy things we don't want with money we don't have to please people we don't like. And that's where, I mean, we're just there. This, I, I believe that in all my years of studying the Scripture and preaching, I believe the hardest issue that is taught repeatedly in the Word of God, whether it be John or Peter or Paul, the hardest issue is learning to die to self, where self is not the important issue. The most important issue, as he says, and take up the cross, that is a surrender to everything other than the will of God, the hardest issue is to die to yourself. Jesus then teaches them. So I I say to you in my first point here, The first point is, this is an attitude that needs to be avoided, and that is the attitude of arrogance and the absence of humility. I would suggest to you that that's probably something you need to pray about every day. Every day. I've read in the last uh, two months three books on humility, and uh, each one was rebuking me. If any point in my life that all of my life goes through the point of self-referencing, I have not died to myself. I say to you that all of my life ought to be filtered through Jesus. Jesus, does this honor you? Jesus, does this serve your purpose? Jesus, does this advance your cause? Jesus, does this reflect that I love you and I'm for you? But too often... Because we get caught up in the horizontal, we get sidetracked by self. Either feeling that somebody hasn't treated us right of importance or haven't recognized our greatness and we violate. I say to you simply, first point, avoid it. (laughs) Die to it. Purpose to say every day you know who you are. Father God, good morning, I love you. Your God, and this is your servant, reporting. What is it you have for me today? The second point that I see here is what he does with his child. This child that he 
randomly picks from the audience there and says, now they were asking the question, who's the greatest? And he's now telling them that the, what makes you great is humility. And he says that right here. He talks about this child. Now, there's some danger in this. If we look at the passage, the suggestion might be that a child is sinless. That's not the case. It may be that they have not acted upon all of their capacities, but uh, we see in, for example, Psalm 51, that all of us are conceived into sin. But we will say in terms of uh, a child that there are characteristics of that child that reflect the humility of that child. They have to learn to be arrogant. They have to, you know, they're not persuaded by pedigree. They're not persuaded by degrees and honor. Those things mean nothing to them. Now, they, I'm not saying that they're completely selfless, and I don't think Jesus is saying that. He's just trying to use an illustration here to say, here's a spirit that you ought to have within you. You ought to have a spirit of a child. So I, I've been reflecting on that for a while. I'm thinking, well, what is there in a child that they have not yet learned, as we do as adults, that make us so self-centered? What are the characteristics of the child that are manifested by humility? And I hope you will think about that as well. And one of my questions that I have for discussion at the end of this is look for those childlike characteristics. But I think uh, one of them is uh, an absolute dependency. A child, uh, when first born, can't do anything. Oh, it can do a couple of things, but both are useless. Then they do it well. But they they don't even know uh, how to prepare formulas. They don't know how to put that get up next to mama's breast. They don't know any of those things. They are desperately dependent upon their welfare for another benevolent soul to care for them. And I believe Jesus is asking us here, do you have that spirit? Do you have the spirit that says, oh God, I need you. Now I think associated with that is also the element of trust. Ever notice that about a child? They just trust It takes them a while until they've been deceived a few times to learn to distrust. But initially, I mean, it is the most bizarre thing. I remember my uh, sister, uh, Bobby, who is now home with the Lord, and she was our daredevil in our family. And my dad was bringing in coal for our fireplace there, and there was an entrance there, and then there was this staircase that went up this way. She was at the top And she runs, runs through the hallway there, leaps through the air and says, catch me, dad, catch me. Now that's trust. Dad did. Cole went everywhere, but he caught her. They just know you're going, they trust you. I think one of the most, and we'll get to stumbling blocks, I think one of the most wicked things that we can do is uh, teach people to distrust it's, it's sad. I love that simple trust that just looks up. And, and you know, uh, when you're walking along and things get a little bit unsettled and they just reach over 
and take your hand. It's just, as if they're saying, Dad, Mom, if I'm with you, I'm okay. I know you, I can trust you. I think there's another characteristic that's childlike that I think that the Lord was trying to teach his disciples. And I'm reading into this. I understand that. I'm trying to understand why he would use a child here. And I believe it's the spirit that you're teachable. A child is a human sponge of knowledge. And, and you know, <clears throat> we often say that. Now, now, be careful how you say that. And if you've already said it, it's done. They pick up on that. They're like a sponge. Yeah, and, and I love that. They're so, they're just so eager to learn. And they want to know. And so it's not an arrogant know-it-all. It's a child that's learning, that wants to know. I believe Jesus is saying that. I, I think these characteristics are certainly here. We, we could go on listing others. But he says, you know, have this spirit in you. Now, I love the word that he uses here when he, when he addresses this in verse 3. As he introduced the child, he says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted. Now, converted means that you need to, you're not like a child. You're not like a child naturally. In order to become, and this is the metaphor that is here, we're using now the spiritual application. We're talking about what it means to become a child of God. All who call upon his name shall be called his children. They shall be called his sons, his daughters. It is a conversion that takes place. It's a, it's a transformation that comes about. So he's saying to them, not only should you have a childlike spirit for humility and other aspects there, but you don't have it right now. And that's what he would be saying to us, that there has to be some change that's going to come about in your life, some conversion experience. And of course, that's where we come to recognize, Lord, I'm not what I should be. I'm not what I could be. And I can't be any of that without you, Lord. And I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I confess to you that I do not measure up. I desperately need you. And would you please, would you please, by your grace and mercy, transform this heart, this life? You got to be converted. You got to be, that's the first thing he says, you got to be converted. You got to be changed. I'm so glad that I, to take that phrase I was just using, I, I know I'm not I'm all I could be or should be. But I want to tell you something, friends. I'm so thankful by the power of God, I'm not what I used to be. And I hope next year when I'm around, if I am, if I am, don't cry for me because I'll be home and I'll be free. But I hope if I am around, if I am around, I hope I can say I've learned so much more about my God. And I hope every day. In fact, that I believe is the formula for eternity. He says that uh, not only should you avoid arrogance, but you should develop a childlike spirit of humility. Let God teach us he, of his gentleness, of his lowliness, of his kindness, and let us learn in that process. He says that if you do this, you receive, as child, you receive me. In other words, what I'm telling you is true of my heart. This is my nature. This is who I am. Then he says here, but if you cause one of these little ones 
who believes in me to stumble. Now, this is the third point that we're making here. This third point talks about uh, being a stumbling block. And he takes some drastic illustration here to say what we should do rather than be a stumbling block. It's sobering. We'll look at that in just a moment. But right now, and he says specifically this child, and I believe again that he's not talking about that particular child at that moment. He's driven it far beyond that. Now he's trying to talk to us about any new believer in Christ. You cause that one to stumble in some way. You know, sometimes we see it and a new believer is so, is ex- so excited about life and the dancing in the spirit, they're rejoicing in the goodness of God. And you say, hey, 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 tone it down, man. You gotta be a mature about this. You know, learn to be sophisticated like we are. Learn to sit on your hands. Learn to keep your mouth shut, man. Just sit in church, quiet and stoic, stifling, stumbling their spirit. You know something? I love the days in my life when I encounter God that the joy of the Lord is so full and overflowing, I can't express it with my lips, I can't shout it out with my voice, so my feet start dancing. Now, it's not a pretty sight. But I do it because, I, and, 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 and I think that we cause people to stumble and to miss the joy of the Lord, that he paid a full price that we might have it. I think there's other ways we can cause a child to stumble. We can tell them that, you know something, I've observed you for a period of time and I'm fairly confident you're never going to change. You're, you're cursed with this for the rest of your life. That's a lie right out of the pit of hell. And don't you believe that? Don't you stumble over that? Because I stand here and you sit there where you are and you listen where you are and you know, you know that God has the power to change. And you lock people into their, own, their past. I want to tell you that when Jesus Christ came out of the grave in resurrection power, he overcame all sin. No sin greater than my God. Amen? Don't you tell these young children that they can't change. They're already locked into enough lies that have been told to them. This is the way you are. You're a stupid kid. You can't read. You're, never, you're not coordinated. You're not like your brother. Listen, I don't want to be like my brother. I don't want to be like whomever is coordinator. I want to be like Jesus. And I can be that. And every one of you sitting here. And listening in, you can be like Jesus. It's his goal for you. We'll sing that even at the very end. I think sometimes we say to young children, young believers in Christ, you sin too great this time. God will never forgive you. And we've, we've lost the message of Jesus when he said to Peter, when Peter said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother seven times? And the Lord said, oh, no, Peter. You haven't even touched the grace that I have. Seventy times seven. If you, if, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. It's not licensed to sin. But in the reverse of that, we cannot find ourselves in a place of condemnation because we do sin and we have no avenue of restoration. Listen, the good news of the gospel is that not only does it save, but it keeps on saving.
Oh, we can say to a child, oh, how are you acting that way? How can you expect God to love you? And that's a lie because Jesus says to me through the Apostle Paul, when I was a sinner, God commended his love towards me. When I was an enemy, when God commended his love for me. And when he says that there's nothing that will ever separate me from the love of God, when he tells me he's poured his love upon me, do not cause a child to stumble believing that they have to earn the love of God. God commended his love towards us when we didn't even deserve it. And some of us who are a little older need to embrace that again. Huh? I hate to see a child that has lost hope. I've seen eyes of children that have no hope. I've seen the eyes of parents who believe the next generation will be those who have hope. And when we take the element of the eternal destiny of us, when we take the element out of our equation that God has equipped us for every good work, when we take the thought away that he who began a good work would bring it to completion, when we take the element of hope, no expectation of certainty, we cause that child to stumble. So what does Jesus say? You, you, you want to do that? He said, you'd be better cut your legs off, cut your arm off, your hand off, pluck your eye out. You think, whoa, what are you talking about here? Well, certainly we do not believe that literally that the solution to sin is to mutilate your body because I can tell you people that have been mutilating they still sin because the biggest instrument of sin is not your physical arms or hands it's your head and your heart as a man thinks in his heart so is he that's what makes you to sin the sin nature will never be eradicated until we go to glory and then it will be gone praise God huh Able to sin no more. Woo, what a day that will be. Oh, my Jesus, I shall see. Amen. I believe what Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us. You be very careful where you go because others are watching you. Where your feet take you because others are watching you. You be careful what you do with these hands because people are watching you. You can cause them to stumble. Be careful what you look at. Because that's really that all of those are avenues of sin for us in that process. He said, a spirit that habitually causes children to stumble, new believers, does not have the spirit of Christ within them. And the only destiny for them is fiery hell. Because you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do is a liar and a murderer. And we're talking about murdering the spirit of believers. My last point is, not only is there an attitude to be avoided, and that is arrogance, not only is there a spirit to be developed, and that's the gentleness and humility of a child, and not only is there a warning to be heeded, but there is a compassion to be embraced. That's this last illustration that we have here. There's a hundred sheep in the fold. The shepherd looks out there and he's counting them. He probably knows them. One, two, three, four. Uh Uh-oh. One's missing. And you think, well, you got 99 more. (laughs) No, no, no. 
One is missing, and the shepherd's heart could not rest until that one was brought back in. You say, well, why would he say this now? Well, if you watch how the message goes through, you, let's say you did start with arrogance. Let's say that you, 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 you're not humble. Let's say that you have caused others to stumble. Jesus said, I'm looking for you. I'm searching for you. And I want to draw you back in. Uh, do we have that heart? Do we look around on Sunday? It's easy on a Sunday like this because, you know, we got one-fourth of the congregation here. And I say, well, we're so-and-so. But you know something, in the course of the week, God can put upon your heart somebody, and you can say, i gotta, I got to contact them. I just miss them too much. I want to make sure they're doing okay. One of our hiking guys that we hike with, he was, hadn't been with us a few weeks, and so we went on a hike on Tuesday, and I invited him. And I just told him, I said, you know why I wanted you to come? I just missed you, brother. I just missed you. See that? Do we care? Do we have that compassionate spirit of Jesus? Well, those are the four points. Spirit of selflessness, gentle humility of a child. Watch out. Don't harm others and care for others instead. Not harm them, but care for them. Seek them out in the process. Howard Hendricks is a man of, um, of renown, really, as a teacher. And he probably has taught more pastors than uh, anyone. He's a professor, was a professor at, at uh, Dallas Seminary. And um, he, uh, he, he just taught pastors to love teaching, to love learning, he was, he was an amazing communicator. I, I sat under his teaching, not at Dallas, but in several seminars, and, and I just loved his spirit in which he taught. But it wasn't always true for him in his life. He was the third brother, youngest brother of three sons, and when he was in early uh, years of schooling, the teacher was learning the students' names and who they were, and this was the third Hendrix that had come through. And she said, oh, Howard Hendricks, I've, uh, I've heard of you. And said, I want you to know something. I don't believe a word of it. Howard, this is going to be our best year ever. Changed his life. Will you listen to me as I sit in the classroom of Jesus? And he looks out and he says, I see you, Mike Jones. I've heard about you, and I want to tell you something. This is going to be the best year ever in my classroom. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that not only have you taught us this morning, but you're going to teach us next week as well. Because you give us instructions that if we do care for others, we'll go and seek them out. And tell us how to do it. Because we love them, we care about them. We thank you for that. But right now, sitting in your classroom, some of us, if we were to take the test, would find we didn't score very high. But I love that you have an open book policy, Lord. Open up the Word of God. See what you need there. and Be conformed to my likeness. That is the goal that I have for you, to be conformed to my likeness. 
Thank you, Lord, that in our hearts, even though we may see that we don't measure up, we don't have the spirit of fear. We don't have the spirit of anxiety. We don't have the spirit of uncertainty. We have the feeling that we are being loved by you and wooed by you to come back in and learn these great lessons. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. If God be for us, who could be against us? In Jesus' name, amen.